just about to hit my golf shot and I hit Alex, Alex. And behind a tree, this bloke came running up to me. Sorry to bother you, my son's a goalkeeper. He was at United, but he's just been released. Could you try and sort him out somewhere? And I honestly thought it was one of those comedy programs, you know, where there's a, a camera <laughs> yeah, in come. behind a tree. Or so. And I'm like looking around trying to find his camera. The official Manchester City podcast. Nadam, today we're joined by a pretty special guy, actually, and somebody I know you've uh, you know personally, and I've got a really good relationship. Alex Williams. For those who don't know, Alex was a Manchester City goalkeeper in the '80s, and he suffered a back injury and retired early, and became heavily involved in City in the community, and for, for many many years has led the club's uh, charity essentially. He's about to step down. Um, his final official kind of goodbye game is going to be the Fulham match on September the 2nd. That's a 3pm kickoff, and we want as many people there kind of enjoying and, and basking in the glow of Alex as we can. But just before we go into the interview with him, I want you to just kind of sum up kind of your impression of him. You've worked with him, you've known him for many years. Just kind of what, what kind of a guy is he? Worked with him. I was like taking penalties against him when I was a junior blue, going to the city and, uh, city and community schemes back in the 90s. Like he's the face of one of the most prominent charities in English football. You know, it's one of the best probably around the world. And he's just a big part of what this city, both Man City and the city of Manchester is itself such a humble guy and for his positivity you think that life has always just been a bed of roses but it hasn't you know some of the things that he's gone through across those years it's amazing how positive he remains but then he has that effect on you when you're in his presence you're almost in awe you know you want to like be like that you want to see the world through those same sort of lenses but you know he's an incredible human being it's a shame that he's going to be retiring but then also when you've been the face of something for nearly 40 years it seems reasonable that maybe he could bid you a break but you know, what, what a great guy. I'm delighted we've been able to get him on this because I think everyone will be wanting to have a piece of him in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that positive disposition. That's the thing that always strikes me with him. You come away from interactions with him or conversations, meetings, whatever it is, and think, I need to be more like that because he is just so positive and, and, and so respectful of everybody, humble. He's achieved so much in his life, and but he's so kind of unaffected and unassuming. That, 100%. Yeah. Mo most people that retire early as well won't be in a positive place throughout the rest of their life because it's the thought of, well, what could have been, wives and so on. But then it seems like across the years, he's not only at peace with it, which, you know, he, he used as a springboard to get into the places that he's been across all those years. And I've got to give credit to the club. I've got to pull up and give credit to the club. Alex Williams is just as important as Edison to this football club, you know. For the fans themselves, they see the club's history and Alex is a big part of that. From when he's played to the stuff he's doing off the field as well. So, someone from the outside might not understand why he gets it. But from the inside, they couldn't have been a better person to have that moment. And, you know, what an incredible guy. Deserves everything that he's had. And there is something to be said about being loyal, something about being positive and something about doing the best for all those around you whose lives you can affect. So he's a, he's a great example. I think I've picked up little things from him across all the years. And yeah, I'm, I'm proud to say he's a friend and even more proud to be able to just sit across from him and just have a conversation like that. Yeah, his impact at this football club and of course Greater Manchester with the work that CITC do is, is, has been absolutely remarkable. And he's been recognised, of course, he's an MBE for those who, who don't know that as well, which obviously is a great honour for him and his family. But anyway, without further ado, let's sit down and have a chat with, with Alex Williams, a very special, important person in Manchester City's history. As I do with most guests, first question, I want to go right back to the beginning. Tell us about your childhood, 
how you first got into football and all that kind of thing. Cool. That's yeah, a loaded uh, question to start with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was born in Moss Side, a stone's throw away from the old main road stadium, and my family moved to Levenshulm when I was about three years of age. So uh, that was where I was sort of brought up as a young child, Levenshulm. Like most young kids, you know, you go out after school and have a kick around. With us, it was in, initially in the streets, but we had a local uh, Kringle Park nearby, a big shale pitch. We used to go on every night, and at one stage, you could get like a 20-a-side game. So when you got a kick of the ball, you had to try and keep it for a few minutes because you know you weren't going to get it again. And I just sort of started off playing there, and uh, as I got older, I'd become a bit more athletic and um, started to sway towards uh, going in goals, and that's where it all started, really. If you get more athletic, surely you go away from goal? Well, I just I had very, very quick reactions. And as you can see, I'm 6'4", big hands. Um, so I sort of gravitated towards that and uh, got in the Manchester boys team and then went on to get a trial for City with Steve Fleet, who was the youth team coach at the time. And as they say, the rest is history. So when you started going in goal, presumably you just felt like, I'm pretty good at this. That must be a nice feeling when you turn your hand to something and you think, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm quite good at it. It was later on, but not initially, because uh, my first high school was, uh, well, my high school was Wilbur High School in Cholton, and I went there when I was 12, tried out for the team in goals, and I didn't get in. Another lad got in in front of me, and uh, I was a bit sick about that. Uh, and then halfway through the season, the goalkeeper had an injury, and he couldn't find anyone, basically. So I said I'd go in goals for the school team, and that's when it really started. So it wasn't that easy, actually. And you said you were playing on a shale pitch yeah. in Levenshulm I mean yeah. diving around on that 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 must have been painful not really when you're a kid you don't really I mean I'm sure Nathan will say you don't really feel the scrapes and pains in fact if you didn't have a scratch or something you know you'd think you uh, weren't trying hard enough so it was great really and um, you know it sort of made me quite a tough person which you know being in goals you have to be physically and mentally tough so then that did help me what was Levenshulm like in those days? Because obviously it's, it's going through a period of gentrification now, isn't it? They saw these sort of cool bars and restaurants and things. What was it like in those days? It was just starting to turn the corner. Um, I suspect many years prior to my parents moving there, it was quite an up-and-coming place. Then it had a bit of a blip. But it, it really is a popular place to live now. Um, so my mum's still there, God rest her soul. You know, she's still, still there. My father passed away, uh, unfortunately, a few years ago. But, you know, I still go through Levenshulm every other day and where we played on that shell pitch, um, as I was sort of joining City, there was another group of lads came along and two of them happened to be Noel and Liam Gallagher, who um, often when I was running past the shell pitch doing a bit of extra training, you know, the lads would shout out to me, hey, Alex, how are you? And I didn't know who they were at the time, but they knew who I was. So ironically, I was uh, Noel and Liam Gallagher's hero and not knowing who they were. And when I see the lads today, they're still brilliant. They lived in a place called Burnage next to Levenshulm, but it's now nicknamed Bernage, mainly because of those two. <laughs> so this shell pitch, it seems to have been a breeding ground for famous people. Did you yeah. ever play there? No, I didn't play there, but I did play on a shell pitch when I was at school. And it is, it is a bit uncomfortable, but, you know, it's just a place to play football, isn't it? It's like the step up from concrete. Yeah. So tell us then about your joining of City. You know, how did those conversations first come about? How excited were you, your family, all that kind of thing? Um, my family didn't know much about football, um, which helped me in the long run. You know, my pe 
parents came over from Jamaica. They didn't know much about Manchester City. So um, I got in the school team and at the time, um, the youth team coach here, Steve Fleet, apparently was looking for a goalkeeper. I didn't know. And he spoke to my um, year tutor, a lad called Bert Jackson, and he said, oh, well, we've actually got a young lad. Uh, he's just gunning goals. He's a local lad from Levenshume. Uh, and he's quite a good goalkeeper. So Steve Fleet invited me into Main Road two nights a week. Uh, we used to come in after school and do training. There was a gym inside the uh, old Main Road Stadium. And when I got to 16, they took a chance and signed me on as an apprentice footballer. What was the academy like in those days? Um, it was totally different from today. It wasn't an academy. It was a school of excellence at the time. Um, you just used to come in two nights a week and that was it. Um, we'd play the matches uh, on a Saturday. We had an old training ground in Cheadle on Park Road, Cheadle, where we played our A and B team games. So um, it was just great, you know, nice to be involved. My parents didn't have a car, so I had to be picked up everywhere I went. But coming back to my parents, what really helped me was I was telling them that I'd just signed for Manchester City and no disrespect to the club at the time they just thought it was a local pub team they didn't realize um it, it was a professional football club yeah but that really helped me because it takes the pressure off you absolutely correct i was lucky enough to work in the academy in the early days for many many years and it can be really difficult for the young players especially because their parents put a lot of pressure on the kids i never had that i just said i'm off to play for the young man city team and they just said all oh, right see you later thinking i was just going on a part pitch somewhere. That was brilliant. Well, did you feel, when you first started coming through, do you feel pressure from family or friends or? I didn't feel pressure, but I think maybe I've got a slightly different perspective on it because like I was only really allowed to play if I was doing well in school and stuff. So I almost felt like that was the bonus as opposed to the standard. But I know that there are other people within my team where it was the opposite. You know, school didn't matter anymore because they just need to make sure they were ready for the game on the Saturday or the Sunday. But it was... It's good, and I was going to ask Alex, actually. You know, for me, when I joined the academy, I was 10. I didn't really support a team at that point. I was watching lots of, like, Italian football because that was the main league and stuff like this, you know, in the mid-90s. But then it's just as soon as, like, I start wearing the same kit as the team that's at Main Road, as soon as you start turning up at Main Road, you're seeing the players, you're seeing the fans, like, the identity started to form. Like, did you support City before you joined, or was it something that sort of changed as the That's a great question because... The answer to your question is yes, I was a massive Manchester City fan, but in those days I had a, a couple of friends. One of them was a City fan, so and the other one was a United fan. So in the early days, we'd go to Main Road one week and we'd go to Old Trafford the following week. And you could do that. There was no issues in getting tickets or anything like that. You could just go and pay and get in. Um, when I went to Old Trafford, I enjoyed it, but I didn't get that buzz, that feeling. I did at Manchester City. And in the early days, uh, the old Kipak stand, if you got in early as a kid, there were two tunnels leading uh, centrally into the stand at the Kipaks where people stood but as a kid you could climb up on the wall and sit astride the wall and watch the players and for me seeing my heroes run out Joe Corrigan um, Tommy Booth Francis Lee Colin Bell it, it was amazing and 69 they won their cup final and that's when it cemented me as a, a Man City fan I was going to mention Joe Corrigan with City you've got a history of great goalkeepers even going back to the years you know those years when we weren't necessarily a great a great team we've always had good goalkeepers he must have been someone you really looked up to when you were kind of emerging and, and, and pushing your way into the team he did and we've had a special bond at the time there was also another goalkeeper ironically from Scotland where at the time people were saying Scottish goalkeepers are not very good called Keith McRae so it was Joe Corrigan and Keith McRae were the two main goalkeepers when I joined the club and I was the third choice but you know, most players, when they're not in the team, sometimes want 
the, the, the person in their place not to play well, not necessarily for the team to lose, but not to play well, so they would get a chance of playing. But with the goalkeepers, we didn't because we knew if we made a mistake, more often than not, it would mean we've, we're going to concede a goal and we'd probably lose a game. So at no time did we ever wish each other bad. If anything, we did totally the opposite because we knew how difficult it was. I still see and work with Joe Corrigan today is... Um, not only just my hero, but one of my closest friends. And it was a privilege to, to follow somebody like him, Keith McRae, and going back further, there's the Swifts and the Troutmans. You see that that mentality, do you think that's the exception or do you think that's like the norm to essentially support someone that's playing the position that you want? I think more so for goalkeepers. We, you know, we didn't want them to do badly. I, I don't know how it works quite for outfield. You probably know better than me, but, you know, it's so difficult being a goalkeeper because, uh, you know, you've got 40 or 50,000 people there and you know if you make one error, you, you know, and you can't think like, you've just got to think of positives and making great saves. So, you know, before a game, I used to sort of look out on the pitch and visualise myself, throwing myself around and, just get my fingers to things and try to put positive thoughts into my head. It's a unique position in that sense, isn't it? So maybe that's where that uh, togetherness and closeness comes from and supportive nature. Are you saying in your position it's no. you don't have that? There really is that competition. No, I think I think it's different. I think yeah. it's different. I think coming through the academy to a certain extent, this sometimes draw things into your mind that it's you know you're fighting for a shirt. But some people do take that literally. Do you know what I mean? If someone has the shirt, like they forget that they're also part of a team and a squad that's trying to win something together. So it can get quite hostile sometimes with certain people. But then, you know, the longer you play, you're in a position where if you're not on the field, you're not in control of your own destiny. You know what I mean? And your own destiny sometimes affects, say, partners, kids, contracts, everything like that. And you want to be saying, you know, like I'll be completely, completely honest. Here's a story for you. So 2007, Sven Goran Eriksson season where we beat Man United at home, second game of the season or whatever it was. I remember the feeling of beating United, but I was on the bench. I was buzzing after the game. Then I got home. Then I was like, realized like, but I wasn't a part of that. And all of a sudden it's like, well, what does this mean? Because whilst they're winning and having these great games, that's not you. So you're not going to play the next game. Do you know why? Because they just beat Man United. So the thing that you celebrated is the reason why you'll not play the next game. So you don't you don't root for someone to not do well. And also, like, how do you gain an opportunity? Yeah. That's the problem. So being at City, I mean, you had some amazing, uh, amazing times. But the relegation in, in 83, Luton Town, home game. I mean, they're back in the Premier we League talk now. about this again now. <laughs> You've got to talk about it because um, it, it's an iconic, uh, so not not necessarily for, for City fans, obviously, it's a horrible image, but that image of David Pleat in the in the suit and all that kind of stuff. What was the club like in, in, in those days and how, how damaging was that relegation? Uh, it did set us back a few years. Um, the, the interesting thing about that season was at no point were we ever in the bottom three that season. And the only time we dropped in was after the final game. Uh, and at one point, we were actually joint top of the league early on in the season. Um, it was just, we just couldn't believe it. You know, I think we'd gone to Brighton and got a result. I think it was, if memory serves me right. So we only needed a point against Luton. And we just presumed, well, it wasn't going to be an easy game, but it was one we thought, yeah, we could do that. And... Um, I remember that the goal uh, cross came across late in the game and I punched it clear and um, it fell to a lad called Radian Tishu who was brilliant at dead ball strikes. He used to 
do all the free kicks corners. And as the ball just touched the ground, we it's called a half volley where he smashed it and he went right in the bottom corner and you could hear a pin drop when the, um, the ball went in the net. But my youth team coach always used to say to me, if you're going to make a mistake, though I didn't feel it was a mistake, be positive in what you're doing. And I came off the field not feeling the goal was my fault. And that was enough for me. You know, I would have hated to have come off the field and gone, Alex, you should have saved that or you should have done better. So though we went down, strange feeling, I personally didn't feel it was my fault. And um, ironically, uh, Radian Tish, because of that goal later in his career, went on to manage Atletico Madrid, yes. Real Madrid, yes. and Barcelona, yeah. all because he scored that goal against me. When you said, I know the story, but when you said Radian Tish, I was like, like, the Radiatic? The one. Right, okay. The one. He recently passed, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, that was him. That's he went on to manage those three massive football clubs because he beat me, scored a goal against me. So you launched a career there. I certainly did. <laughs> I certainly did. Um, but yeah, for two years, we were in the doldrums a little bit. But um, the brilliant thing for me was um, not the first year, but the second season, we got promoted back to what was then the first division stroke Premier League. I played every single league game, 42 matches, had 21 clean sheets, and we went up on goal difference. So in my mind, I'm thinking anybody who potentially looked to point the finger, I felt in my own mind I've wiped the slate clean and got us back up. So I didn't have to do, well, I did have to do that was my job, but uh, just in my own mind, you have things which goals, and I'm sure for Nadim, it's the same thing. Um, I just felt so relieved when we went back up that I'd played my part in it. So you do have this tag as being, you know, the the first modern day black goalkeeper. I wanted to talk to you about that. Did you feel um when you were coming through at that time that there were any hurdles or things that you had to battle that maybe uh white players didn't have to that kind of thing but what kind of obstacles do you feel were in your way um i didn't feel there was any obstacles from my point of view because i had belief in my own ability um i think the biggest challenge was people being brave enough to give me the opportunity um and i think it bodes right up to today that we are clearly one of the most inclusive football clubs in the world. You know, you look at our current squad of players from all over the world, different nationalities, different religions. Um, You look at the makeup of the um, City Football Group staff around the world. I think we should all be very proud of how inclusive we are. And even in those days, um, I never felt an issue from the football club. Everybody was brilliant, supportive towards me. And I never, ever came into the club thinking I was a black goalkeeper. I just came to the club thinking I was a Manchester City goalkeeper. And that was the biggest thing I had to change, the mindset of away fans when they saw me for the first time. Because a few of my early games, I remember one was at Liverpool. I ran out um, for the game. It was a midweek game, right at the end of one season before they won the European Cup in Paris, beating Real Madrid 1-0. I could hear the gasps from the Liverpool fans when they saw a black goalkeeper run out. And it wasn't in a negative way. It was just such a... It never been seen before. And uh, I sort of smiled to myself when I saw it. And to be fair to them, I used to try and play well to win the fans over. And most grounds in the early days where I played, I got great reception off a lot of the away fans because I would try and win them over with my performance, which I did most of the times. There was a particularly difficult night away at Leeds United. Is yeah. I remember from the book yeah. um, that I read of yours a few years ago, which I would recommend people people to read. I mean, 
what does that do to a man's uh, confidence to to your psyche when when you when you're on the receiving end of of difficult treatment like that? Uh, firstly, I think there's been a lot of changes in that area, but at the time there was no such uh, support such as kicking out, show racing red card, third football united racing divides. The PFA were around the FA, um, but very limited resources or clientele to support players. So you just had to get out there and, and, and play and, and, and sort of get over it yourself. So, it was, you know, you either sank or you swam. So luckily, you know, I was, I've always been very strong-minded and uh, I think that really helped me. And once you start playing a few good games and um, people see you and, and start to read about you, then that made things an awful lot easier. You know, I didn't feel as though I had to prove myself to anybody. I could just go out and actually play football. I think as well, you mentioned about City being inclusive, but our fan base, particularly... Yeah. In those days, you know, with, with us being based in Moss Side, wonderful, uh, wonderful part of Manchester, so much going on there and so many different influences. I think that's maybe helpful, isn't it? That you were, you know, City had a more multicultural and inclusive. Yeah, yeah, I think it was both ways. I mean, in the early days, I think Stan Horn was the first uh, mixed race player to play for Manchester City. Then there was like so Roger Palmer, Dave Bennett. Uh, and we've had many, many um, sort of mixed race and, and, and sort of black and ethnic players since. But it was also good, I think, for the area, Side, because for the local people to see a black person playing in a Manchester City team and especially a goalkeeper, somehow I think that bonded the local community and, and sort of helped with tensions in those times, um, you know, that the club was seen to be inclusive and you know, it doesn't matter where you came from, you you could feel part of Manchester City Football Club. I've got to say, Alex, you know, I've known you for many years now. When I listen to you speak, you talk about real significant issues and it's always, you always talk about it with a positive mindset to start with. Yeah. Has that always been the case? Because some of the stuff that you have been through, I think yeah. a lot of people, I'd say the majority of people would have reacted the opposite way. Like, how do you not have real anger within you when some of the things that have been thrust towards you have been, you know, deserving of that yeah, emotion. Yeah, that, that is a question I've always wanted to yeah, ask you. I mean, it is difficult, but the other thing you've got to remember is it's difficult times for everybody today and there's a perception and probably more so now with footballers that they are the elite, they get paid plenty of money. So, yes, it is sometimes about the colour of your skin, but it's actually sometimes about the fact we're professional footballers and, well, hang on a minute, I'm doing an out of five job and earning X and you're doing something everybody wants to do. And so, I, I, well, I could understand a little bit people's frustrations and the way people think, but I think if you can try and win them over and, and, and sort of educate them a little bit more, they're more likely to come round to, well, actually, yeah, he's working hard to get to where he is and, yes, he deserves the rewards. And... I just felt by playing well, um, I mean, even when I got in the team at City, I started to do work in the community with our young junior blues set up at the time. So even in the early days, I was giving stuff back to the community. So um, that's the way I tried to do it. I never looked at things angrily or I've always been a, a glass half full person. I never look at the negative things because, you know, I think there's a lot of things you can't do anything about, but going forward, you perhaps can. So that's... It's just the way I've always been. It's impressive. Like the way you are and the way you've been has helped out probably. And in, you can't even name how many people yeah. who say as a black person or, you know, someone from a minority group within the country, most people around the country don't get a chance to see many people like me and like you. But if they meet you and they see you and you're trying to win them over with the positives, with the football, with the stuff to the community, 
then becomes the expectation the next time they see someone like you. Absolutely. And yeah. like that deserves so much credit and I'm sure people will champion you fully at some point, but that does go a long, long way because some of the challenges that you mentioned, not everyone can see the glass as half full. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like for some, they might not even see anything in the glass at all, but yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's so impressive. Obviously. Yeah. And I think so much more so the last 33 years or whatever it's been for CITC, because we and, and Nadam's now a, a trustee, we have helped hundreds and thousands of local people and given them opportunities. You know, the, the CEO of Lommel SK, Mike Green, came to me 20 years ago as a volunteer football coach. Mike Geary, the current head of the foundation, um, was a volunteer coach as well. And one of the things I'm most proud of, and it might be a question you are going to ask me uh, later, is what we as a club and sitting community have done to change and enhance people's lives. We should be very proud of that. My slight frustration is sometimes it doesn't get the press it deserves because the press want to hear about you know, what a particular player is doing at a night time or which nightclub they're going to or anything like that. But, you know, you just speak to ordinary people, people within the public sector, the police, you know, NHS, we do a lot of work with now, city council. Um, they're waxing lyrical about the brilliant work we do. Um, Andy Burnham, I know very well, just to name somebody else, we were doing stuff with Andy Burnham many, many years ago, you know, on the back of the Heisel stuff and, you know, looking at how we can better work with fans and communities. So we've changed a lot of people's lives and we should, as a football club, not just because of me and CITC, but as a club, we should be very proud of that. Just for some of our listeners who maybe are not as familiar with City in the community as we all are, we we understand the uh, the impact it has in 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 the local community and beyond. Just give a bit of a summary as to kind of um, what City in the community stands for and what its kind of main objectives and and, and goals are. Yeah, well, firstly, we started back in 1986. We were one of six clubs from the northwest who started a community scheme. There was some research work done at the time by the PFA on how local football clubs can better integrate and uh, get communities involved. So they started a community scheme. We were one of the six. We had four or five people based there going out into local schools, um, delivering fo initially football coaching sessions. But now we use the brand of the badge to deliver a whole host of messages. A lot of it at the moment is around health. So healthier minds, healthier bodies, healthier lives. Um, we tie up with the NHS. So we bring the badge and the engagement to the community groups. And then we work with the professional public sector groups to deliver those messages. And we've had some brilliant, brilliant successes. I could talk all day about the people we've interacted with right down to a young man who works at uh, the front door of security on a match day. Uh, we had him with us as a 16 year old running around the parks at night time, getting into all sorts of trouble. We turned his life around. He's now got a full-time job security guard here at Manchester City. He's got two kids, lovely family, and he puts all that down to CITC. And that's one of 10 million stories I could sit here and tell you about. And that's the biggest thing I feel proudest of is what we as a club and CITC have done to change and improve people's lives. Going back to your playing career, because one of the reasons you got involved in CITC is your playing career came to an end earlier than you would have liked. Um, talk us through that, how that happened, and also kind of what pressure and, and, and stuff that that put on you as, as an individual. Yeah, I was um, around about sort of 20 years of age and I had a back problem. Um, I, it came about for a number of reasons. I wouldn't want to specifically target it towards any individuals. Uh, in those days, we had a lot of people working at the club, especially on the playing side who 
they were very keen to come in and do stuff, but probably didn't have the qualifications, you know, the people here have today. And, you, you know, it's quite a long story short, I just removed uh, and um, got back within about 18 months to being 80% fit. But to play even lower league football, which I was at the time, I moved to Port Vale Football Club. I was struggling. And um, the reason I moved there was they had a physio called Martin Copeland, who I still remember his name, who worked at the local general hospital, but specialised in recuperation from spinal injuries. So my thought was, it's half an hour up the road. I used to drive up through Wimslow, Elderly Edge, and then into Stoke. But I only got 80% fit and I was playing a game one night at Port Vale. It was middle of December. During the match, there was hail, sleet, snow. The stadium held about 40,000, of which there was about 400 people there. And I thought, what am I doing here? And I went in to see the manager, John Rogers, the next day. I said, look, I love the club. I love everything, but I'm just don't want to do this anymore. I'm not being fair to the Port Vale fans. I'm not being fair to my fellow players. And more importantly... I'm not being fair to myself. And I just packed in and uh, um, went to college for six months and then the job came up at Manchester City to return and that's how it started. How old were you when you when you fully packed um, in it football? Was probably, I was probably about 23, 24. Um, ironically, I was lucky enough to get in the re- England under 21 squad in 84. Um, so it must have been 85 I finished and up to recently we were the last England under 21 squad to win the European Championships uh, there was myself and Gary Bailey from Man, Man United people like Mark Haley played Steve McMahon we had an unbelievable squad and we won it but they won it this this year, yeah, yeah. They won it this year. So I can't, I used to go into school. Never mind, I've got to change my PowerPoint now. <laughs> yeah. I used to be like going to schools and got, I was in the last England under 21 squad to win the European Championship. Now I can't say it anymore. Yeah. And you've got a new book coming out. So have you got to re- rewrite any pages with, with Take That Line Out? Well, I've got to rewrite a couple of pages. That's going to be one of them. And the other page I've got to rewrite is um, I was lucky enough, I think it was 2012, to receive, uh, to get an MBA. And um, at the time, I received it from His Royal Highness Prince Charles. But now I, it's brilliant that I could actually say, I received my MBA from King Charles yeah, III. That's a, yeah, so that's, that's a massive positive. So that makes up for the... Yeah. <laughs> so let, let's talk, because CITC, I, I, my impression is that that's had arguably more of an impact on your life than than, than playing football, because you are, you, you've embodied... CITC basically when I think of CITC I think of I think of Alex Williams and all the great work I mean just tell us kind of um how that that process of being involved has, has actually developed you as a person over the years as well yeah well as I mentioned earlier I was uh, involved with the fans from the early onset and uh, I must say I do a lot of work with the uh, official supports clubs Kevin Parker his committee um I've been fortunate enough that I've visited um support clubs not just up and down the country, but all around the world. Been fortunate enough to go out to Chicago in recent years, Washington, New York. In fact, uh, myself and uh, Pete Bradshaw from Infrastructure set up the first contact out in New York with a lad called Paul Jeffries, who's now the director of New York CFC's Community Scheme. And we um, highlighted a school uh, in Harlem where um, we selected a rooftop pitch and we built a five-a-side pitch on the top of a school. 
um, where it's Manchester City branded and the kids can go to the top of the um, school and play five-a-side football in an enclosed area. So that was brilliant for me after finishing my career to be part of a group of people that set up the first uh, project in New York. And now, of course, they've gone on to, to purchase or have New York City FC. They're currently building a, a stadium. They've got the training ground. So... Um, not a lot of people know that, but it was just nice. In my own mind, I was part of the group to set that Our up. first imprint in New York. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us about your involvement in City Community in recent years and what, what what's your impression of the impact that that charity has? So I'm a trustee now. You know, I'm not an ambassador. Some people call me an ambassador. I'm not an ambassador. Like, I'm part of, say, some of the bigger conversations about strategy you know, planning and things like that and getting a chance to see how how extensive it actually is is remarkable because I remember in the early 90s, I went to one of those schemes and Alex was in goal. I was taking penalties mm-hmm. against him and I couldn't score. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how it started off. But then a few years later, I was in the academy and I was seeing more about him because I was looking at, I was very lucky to, when I was a ball boy, I had access to all the old programs from the late 80s, early 90s and like seeing the likes of Alex and so on. I thought, it's just so cool. I actually did that against him. That That's, that's who he is. And... Alex is like synonymous with the charity so much so that, you know, he's not going to be doing the job for much longer, but we're not seeking a replacement because we can't replace what he means to the charity itself, but it's changed so much across all the years since he's been there. And for me to get a chance to see it. And as Alex is saying, like, you know, Alex is from the city. He's born in Mossad. He's from that area. He knows what the city is. He knows what the club is, knows all the way the clubs changed across all those years, but still, as is the case with the charity, it goes according to the needs of the city. You know, it's not us saying, this is what you need. It's us looking to see what people need and seeing if we can accommodate that. So to get a chance to be on the board with the many others and the sort of diversity of thought, the feeling, the understanding, but still the emotion to try and help the city through the vehicle that is football, which connects so many people. Like as a player, I would always do all the community schemes that I could, but I never fully understood the real sort of like spread of it. It's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And when you do get a chance to see it, you can see why the work that has been done by Alex and so many others is so invaluable because it's, it's helped so many lives. Alex, I remember you saying to me once that you've loved your job so much that you basically bounce out of bed every morning. Yeah, absolutely. Your time uh, at City in the Community is coming to an end. I mean, how does it feel um, to be kind of bowing out the legacy that you've got? And, and are you almost worried a little bit about what your life is it's going to be like uh, leaving this all behind because it's been such a part of your life, you know? Well, in a way, the success of everything we've done, and I never single myself out to anything, sure, as good as a team, is, has been part of the problem. You know, it's lovely that I can walk around Manchester with my held up, head uh, held up high, but everybody approaches me and everyone comes to me, can you do this and can you do that? I mean, I always tell a story one of my releases is I sometimes go out playing golf on my own. It's not because I'm miserable, because I need to come down from, from everything. And I remember one day I, went, I was on the golf course in Heaton Moor. There was not one person on the golf. I was the only person. Couldn't believe it. Just about to hit my golf shot. And I hit Alex, Alex. And behind a tree, this bloke came running up to me. It's a true story. And he went, Alex, Alex, um, sorry to bother you. My son's a goalkeeper. He was at United, but he's just been released. Could you try and sort him out somewhere, get him either at City or with another club? And I honestly thought it was one of those comedy programs, you know, where there's a, a camera <laughs> yeah, hid behind a tree. Or so. And I'm like looking around trying to find his camera. 
And he just came from nowhere. And that's the sort of thing that happens to me. You know, I get, and it's lovely. And I think one of the nicest things is people feel comfortable approaching me, which I think is nice. Um, <laughs> so it's going to be nice in some ways to sort of not get away from that because it's nice that people feel comfortable approaching me. But I just want to sort of chill a little bit. And then I've still got a lot of things to do. I'm going to be involved with the foundation, I believe, from an arm's length. Um, I'm still going to be around on match days, doing work with the former players. And we have pre-match activities as well. So I'm still going to be very much involved with the club, but just at a slightly lesser level. Um, so anybody listening to this, if you still need to get hold of me, you will be able to. And I will start try and help with all yeah. the requests. Um, but I'm not sure I can help people get signed up for City because, you know, we're, we're looking at players from all over the world, but I will try. I think you've earned that, uh, that you know, dialing down slightly. Um, one thing I was going to ask about is the Premier League trophy handing over. Um, so the club invited you to be one of the trophy bearers um, for the game against Chelsea last season when we, when, when we won the Premier League. In terms of career highs or, or even life, affirming moment I mean that must be that must have been right up there with some of the greatest things you've ever been asked to do it was yeah and I was proud and privileged to have done that you know um, to be thought of and asked to do it I thought was really the highlight for me the presenter of the medals was absolutely brilliant but it was nice to know people within the club thought enough of me to think of my name and, and to ask me that was really really nice um I've done so many wonderful things over the years in my career and in life. I mean, I've got, you know, a, a brother who's a lovely lad and my three sisters and my mum lover. God bless. Well, she's still alive. Um, I don't know. There's just so many things I could highlight. The trophy lift was definitely one of them. Receiving my MBA, my first ever game, March 1981. Uh, against West Brom at Main Road, um, getting promoted, you know, against Charlton Athletic to wipe clean the slate from Luton Town, uh, being as part of the England under-21 squad and the England under-18 squad. We won European Championship medals two years earlier as well. There's so many things I've done, the trips I've been on. Um, the club is absolutely amazing and it's been brilliant for me, but I'd like to think that I've contributed to the club's history as well. I need to hold my game. I've got nothing. I've got nothing to give it. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I was just sat in awe. One thing I was going to say about the Premier League trophy, because we played a video just before yeah. uh, in bowl, so inside the stadium, um, and obviously it's a packed stadium. We've just won the, we, we'd won the league the day before, but we're about to celebrate lifting the trophy. Often in those situations, those VT videos, they get ignored. That day, literally everybody in the stadium stood and watched it's certainly in the area I, I was in and stood and watched every every bit of that. And I think that is down to people recognise your impact and, and importance. Yeah, I mean it's brilliant. And I've always had this thing with the fans, I don't know why. And I think one of the reasons is is I like to think I come over as quite a humble person. In fact, one of the things I get told off for every time is when I see someone I've not seen for a while, I always say hello, I'm Alex Williams. And like, especially when it's former players, they look at me as I ought to say, is he going a bit cuckoo or what? We know who you are. You're, you're, you're a, I don't ever like to use the word legend, but I just treat myself as me and people like, look at me, why are you telling me your name? <laughs> and somebody else mentioned that recently on, a, on an interview or something somewhere, but it's just the way I am. I don't presume anything. Yeah. Um, but that humility is, is part of 
who you are and has probably yeah. driven the, the style with which you've, you've led to see in the community and yeah. that humility has probably been a big part of that mm. identity. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I, I, to I totally agree. Like, I love Alex, you know what I mean? This is <laughs> what I'm sitting here. I'm like, and the, the way you are in terms of saying I'm Alex Williams and stuff, it's like something for me, I never assume that anyone knows who I am or what I do. And I'm nothing unless they say like, I, like most people that I meet, they either know I play football automatically or I'll talk to them and they won't know I played football. You look like a footballer to well, be fair. Yeah, well, does, yeah. Yeah, I'm a retired one, but you know what I mean? But like, it's not a thing. I don't lead with all the things that I've done, you know, and it's nice to be humble. And this is the problem though. Whenever you try and give out this compliment, it'll always just like somehow praise you for something, you know yeah. what I mean? So, but it's a great human being. People acknowledge you, love you, such a big part of the club. And like I say, whether it's the charity or the football side of things, you'd be synonymous with such an important era within the, sort of the football club's history. And you think you'll have a break, but there's no breaks in Manchester because wherever you go, everyone knows exactly who you are, Alex. That's yeah. the downside. Yeah, that's not going to end. No. <laughs> well, it's funny, actually. Um, we found out, I think it was last year, year before, by absolute chance. It was my, my birthday. It's on the 13th of November. And we... the the um, a number of these senior CITC staff went out for a lunch and Nadem joined us. And uh, they were all thanking me and praising me for my birthday. Great. I went home and then my wife Julie says to me, was Nadem with you? And I went, yeah. He says, how come Nadem was with you? He says, well, he's trustee. He went, did you know it was Nadem's birthday? Yeah. So all through this lunch, He's praising me for my birthday. Yeah. The day before his birthday, by the way. Right, oh, right, day right. Day right. Yeah. Day before, yeah, it's yeah. My, mine's on yeah. the 12th, he's on the 13th. Right, right, right. right. So. <laughs> I can't oh, let's, get, let's get the cake out so for Alex, got, yeah. Yeah, we've got two very humble people. So yeah. He's an old Yeah, yeah, yeah it's very mad. nice. I called him up and I went mad at him. It was your birthday yesterday. It's, it's, it's not about me, not even on my birthday, though. No. I like that. <laughs> I do like you, really. Well, well, of course, of course. We're coming to the end of our podcast. Your final game is, correct me if I'm wrong, the Fulham game, isn't it? So that's when we're officially... Full time officially, full time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there'll be some celebrations there. So I just wanted to make fans aware of yeah. that because that's going to be the curtain coming down in, yeah. in some ways. And obviously it's a chance for people to reflect on, on the yeah. impact you've had. And is, What day is that? Se September 3rd? Yeah. September 3rd. September 3rd. Be there and uh, it, it'll be, well... It will be emotional. There's no doubt about it. And like I said, I remember the uh, the trophy lift and the video that was played there. It was it was it was having an impact on people that day. We've got a few questions that we ask all of our guests, uh, and we wanted to ask you uh, those uh, as well. So the first one is, what's one thing? You, if I give you a magic wand and said you can change anything about football, on previous podcasts that was a rule about the game, but we're going to broaden this to just football generally. If I gave you that magic wand and you can change one thing about football, one aspect of it, what 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 would that be? Oh, that's that's a right question, that one, isn't it? Um, I, I think for me personally, I think the actual game itself is is, is in quite a good place. Um, you know, I, I just wonder maybe if we could be a little bit more educating of fans and so, you know, they're trying to get this hooliganism thing stroke racism out of the game because it seems to be still there um, and even though I've been involved with the game for 30 odd years it's better but it, it's not gone away uh, I think the game itself personally is in a good place although I wasn't too happy of the weekend with this extra eight minutes that was played so otherwise we'd have the uh, community shield here at the moment and I was actually I believe down to present that with Mike Summerby had we have won it in fact Mike and myself were just getting ready, ready. 
to do. <laughs> so, Hold on now. So I, I don't know. I would like fans to be a little bit more friendlier to each other and, and you know, try and resolve this, this any issues around hooliganism and racism and anything else that's negative in the game. I started going to Main Road in 94 and I remember Kick It Out logo was all over the place. And, and it sounds like you're frustrated that, I mean, in, in that intervening period and before I was going, of course, we haven't made as much progress as, as, as we should have. Is, is that that real frustration of yours? It's a frustration and I think we're doing our best through CITC, the likes of, as I said, kick it out, etc., to try and educate people. And it is an education piece. Um, it, again, it's got better, but it's not where it should be. I mean, um, ironically, I watched a game at the weekend where both sets of players were taking penalties and, you know, no player should be singled out irrespective of the colour of the skin, the nationality, the religion for what they do on the field, you know, and it, it, it's a shame um, that's happened in the past. And the good thing when I played was we never had social media. So if you were going to get any stick, you just got it from the fans who were there. But today you could be sat the other side of the world, pick up a laptop or whatever and, and give somebody grief the other side of the world who you've never met. And somehow that seems a bit wrong and unfair, irrespective of who the players are and male, female players, whatever, and, and what they've done and how much they earn, that's wrong. Another question we ask every guest is what was the last thing that you binged? So it might be a series on television, it might be a film you loved, it might be a book that you, you raced through, or what What was the last thing, piece of art that really kind of moved you? Ooh, that's a good question there. Um, I think anything to do with the history of Manchester City, I think. Um, you know, I know Gary James very well. The club, I'm not sure his title now, uh, official. We're trying to get Gary on the podcast, actually. So, yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. obviously uh, he knows our um, yeah. history. Manchester football generally so well, doesn't it? It is. And um, where we are, fan base-wise, is absolutely brilliant globally. But I think if you were to go back with a lot of our current fans more than even five years, they would probably struggle to... You know, who was that player? Or, you know, a lot of people don't even know what main road was who currently supports at the moment. You know, and God rest his soul, he's, he's passing out Colin Bell. You know, some people didn't even know who the great Colin Bell was. So it's nice we've still got a lot of history. And I believe um, we're having a new museum erected and there's going to be all sorts of memorabilia put in there. And I think that'd be nice to keep the history as well as the history we're making at the moment. For anyone who doesn't know what Main Road was, it was the greatest place on earth in, yes, in my humble was. opinion. Yeah, but there we go. Yeah. Uh, and then the final uh, one is, could you ask our next guest a question? We're not going to tell you who it is, but we need you to... It's somebody involved in football in Manchester City, but can you just leave a question to them uh, that we will ask them? Um, what do they feel is the greatest thing about Manchester City Football Club today? Wonderful. Thank you so much, Alex Williams. That was uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. And uh, I need to say it, I suppose, good luck in, in semi-retirement, let's yeah. call it, because you are going to still be involved. Yeah, and I hope I didn't destroy uh, Nadam's career when I saved that penalty, but... <laughs> it did, actually, because I hate you taking penalties from that point. You got right inside his head. His Rip penalty through. save was one of many, and what I always remember is I played at West Ham in the early days, my fourth ever game, they had a right-back Scottish player called Ray Stewart, had the hardest shot in football, never missed a penalty, first minute of the game I saved a Ray Stewart penalty. Wow, so, so there you go. Don't be, don't be too embarrassed about. So yeah. if I've saved his Nadim, you, you've nothing to I worry can live about. With it. Yeah. I'm all right. I'm all right now. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you. <laughs> the official Manchester City podcast with Rob Pollard and Nadim Manua. Nadim, 
thoughts after that one? Incredible human being. You know, he's, he's a big role model to a lot of people, myself included, from the fact that he played for City, the fact he played for City as a black player, for the fact that, you know, he had to retire early, but it still has such a huge impact in this city, the city we call our home. You know, it's amazing, and listening to his story delivered in such a humble way, you know, you can see why he's an icon for this football club, for the, you know, the region of Greater Manchester. And you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what, like, the listeners think. You know, leave us a comment, you know, like, share, do all that good stuff. But leave us a comment. I want to see what your sort of best memories of Alex, because that story he was telling about being on the golf course and someone came over to him. You must have had a million interactions like that. Well, what's your first interaction with Alex Williams? And was it as good as, say, mine was when... Unfortunately, saved about five of my penalties in a row back in uh, in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, his impact, there will be countless people who will have an Alex Williams story. And yeah, echo uh, Nadam's point there. If you want to get in touch on social media or comment or whatever. This, is, this episode is the one where you can comment and leave a tribute to one of the most consequential people in the history of Manchester City Football Club. So you should definitely do that on social media. Well said. And we, we said in the intro as well about his humility and that kind of positive disposition, I think that really came through in the interview. So uh, it'll be nice for anybody who isn't as familiar with Alex to, to have witnessed that firsthand uh, on the podcast. That was a really special episode for me. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. Same, same for me. Same yeah. for me. Like Every episode has been good, you know, and there's certain things that we connect with more. But Alex Williams, to me, is, is a hero, you know, for so many different reasons. So I feel, as I say, immensely proud to have had him sitting across from me for that time. Agreed. And thank you, everybody, for joining us, as always. Uh, as Nadam just said, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever it is you do your podcast listening. And on this occasion, yeah, we really do encourage everybody to to send in some um, some comments, some thoughts, some feelings about Alex. Until next time, take care of one another and we will see you soon. The official Manchester City podcast. Subscribe and follow now so you never miss an episode.